welcome to the Talking Security Podcast. We will talk about items related to Microsoft security. Hello, welcome again at a new recording of the Talking Security Podcast. This time again in the Defender for DevSecOps series. And we're back with Puyan and Sander. Um, well, what are we going to do today? Today we're going to talk about the build section of DevSecOps. So last episode we talked about code, and uh, this episode we're going to talk all about the build, yeah, build environment and build process. So how to build such piece of software mm-hmm. uh, or some infrastructure, for example, to enroll that. So let's let's dive in. <coughs> do we have first of all? Right, do we have anything to to announce? It's 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 almost MVP summit. So we both we all all three of us we are uh, moving to America for a week. So Definitely. and uh, we will do some recordings there, I guess. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully. We'll. Yeah, we'll take our gear. Not this, not this <laughs> gear, but we'll take the gear with us, and then uh, let's see if we can uh, talk to some people th- over there. So really looking forward. It will be my, f- my first time, so hopefully, uh, yeah, it will be awesome. First time yep. in Seattle. Your yeah. first time in, at the summit as well. Yes. yes. Oh really? I yes. thought you were gone there for like a million times already. I'm. I think I'm the youngest MVP in this room. Yeah. Like, I'm certainly not the youngest person in the room. <laughs> no, 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 definitely <laughs> not, definitely not. But <clears throat> let's dive into the uh, DevSecOps build process. Sure. What, so what, what, what is it? What, what, what things do we need to cover? Um, well, I kind of see this in two different sections. So you have like the, the, the build process and you have the build environment. And I think it's really, really important to talk about the security aspect here because in the normal DevOps flow, it's everyone, when someone talks about DevOps, they usually talk about CI/CD, like building your software when something changes and then releasing it automatically mm-hmm. instead of doing it by hand with FTP or just doing stuff by hand. Um, but with DevSecOps, it's all about the security aspect. So how do we make sure that this building process is very secure because it's very easy to... Uh, introduce security issues with this. Yeah, first, first dive in let, let, let the process and the environment, but first the process. Let, let's see what, what kind of things do we need to cover, um, like a build, uh, the secure build. Uh, you talk already about uh, security. What, what kind of aspects around security do we need to look into? Mm. Well, I think... Um, I think it's good before we dive in into the to the aspect is to define what we mean when we are talking about build, right? Because uh, when we are ta- doing build on an infrastructure project, it's completely different than when we are talking about build when we are about a .NET application where you need to generate stuff. Yeah. So I think I think that's the initially because after that we can start thinking, okay, there are multiple parallels that will be, uh, we can discuss and see, okay, what are the security challenges and on that aspect? Mm-hmm. Uh, is, is that a good intro? Yeah, that sounds good. I think, so it's, I think it's a good thing that you're saying, like, um, we're not just releasing source code onto a machine. Like, in, and also, if we're talking about stuff like infrastructure as code or like BICEP or stuff like this, uh, you're, not, you're not sending the BICEP files to Azure. You're actually sending, you know, the, the result. So I think the build process could really be summed up as you know taking the source of a project and turning it into an artifact, turning it into something that will eventually run on a machine somewhere, and that yeah. can take many forms. Like in .NET, you're compiling an application um, with like a normal website. You're maybe just minifying it, but the HTML, the CSS, and JavaScript stays the same. And with Bicep, well, you're just Bicep is just turning it into ARM templates in the end. Yeah. Yeah, I think what we also were discussing on before the the the, the start is how the build is also changing, right? Because mm. with the introduction of the uh, infrastructure as code, for example, uh, what I told you guys earlier, in the early days, when we did the infrastructure as code in Azure DevOps, we needed to do build and then create an artifact which we could use in the release to deploy it, which is now not the case anymore as well, right? Kinda, kinda. So now you use, in, yeah, you used to like, Click ops, kind of the, yeah. the the pipeline together with your by by hand, and it worked, and it was really nice to begin with. But you didn't really have any backups; it wasn't in your Git repository or something like that. Yeah. Nowadays, exactly what you say, you had like a, well, you had to, you used to have like a build section and a release section, and nowadays the modern approach is to use like a YAML file with your pipeline in it, and in there you define all of the build steps, and then you can also 
define your release steps in there. Usually you do that in a separate stage or in a separate file, so it's nicely separated, but now it's a whole more, it's a, it's a different approach to building and releasing your application. Yeah, so if you focus on the, let's start with the infrastructure code, for mm. example. If you take a look when we are doing infrastructure code, or we are doing um, conditional access deployment through DevOps processes, right? Things, configuration as code. Um, how do you see, how do we see the build stage and do we see any security issues in there as well? When only having um, infrastructure as code and deploying workplace-related items, uh, identity-related yep. items, uh, like conditional access, for example, can we deploy that in a secure way? And how should we do that? Mm. So the authentication part, you mean, or is it, for example, for example, if yeah. you, uh, you need to connect to a certain Azure Active Entra ID mm. environment, you need to deploy within the Entra ID. You need to deploy the conditional access policies. Yeah, and in this case, um, we need an app rack. That app rack n needs some permissions. Right. But how do we secure that optimally? So nowadays, uh, we're using Keyvault. Is that the right way? Mm. Or do we store that in another way? So I think uh, I think what you're going to is like, in a, for this is of course kind of Azure DevOps uh, specific, yeah, yeah. but I think you're going to like, you're, you're leaning into like the service connections bit. Like how do we connect our Azure DevOps environment to our Azure environment to make the changes? And how do we create a, s a secure connection? It uh, could be, that, 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 that could be the way. Uh, but you can also run a script um, on a PowerShell script, for example, mm. or, or whatever. Yeah. So there needs to be a connection, and that connection can be established in different, right. in different ways, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, you can definitely do multiple things, yeah. So what you often see is, I think at the moment, that in Azure DevOps or uh, people, cre you can create service connection, which yeah. you can use in your pipelines, for example. Um, but we had also seen scenarios where people hijack the connection or the deployment process and then got the token out of the uh, connectivity. And then through that, they hop through. So I think that's what you're meaning with, with the authentication part. Yep. Um, with GitHub, it's different. I think you need to store, you, you cannot define connections. You need to define uh, credentials, which you can use to connect. I'm not really sure. I think under the hood, it kind of works the same in Azure DevOps, where you uh, create like a service connection to Azure. You can like use like an app registration, for example, like a service principle under the hood. But more modern approaches are like yeah, using a managed identity or a workload federation. Something does someone here know the correct term? Something yeah, workload federation. Federated credentials. That's something uh, new, yeah. um, and that's really changing it because it's like managed identity, but it's so you don't have a secret anymore. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And I think using, I mean, you can definitely use a PowerShell script, right? To like in your pipeline say, I want to connect to Azure. And instead of using a, a service connection, I'm just going to do it myself. You could. But I think this is going to come, off, uh, come up often more in this episode is why would you do it yourself if you can use like a cloud hosted, Microsoft hosted or provider hosted option like a service connection. Yeah. And if we want, if, if we want to use that service connection, for example, mm -hmm. what do we need to do to secure that optimally? Because um, last days I talked to a few customers uh, regarding phishing resistant MFA mm. that is more user based. Yeah. Uh, there, uh, from a user perspective, there are multiple challenges regarding MFA and um, uh, phishing regard, uh, with uh, the MFA token and so on. Is that is that the same in the area with the service connection using a managed uh, a managed identity of service principle, whatever? Uh, do we face the, the same challenges as well? In, in creating connections between a DevOps environment, a GitHub mm -hmm. environment, and a backend system, for example, Azure Active Directory or uh, the, 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 the build environment where you are publishing your, your software. Mm. I think I think definitely, I think then it's more like I don't, if you're using service connections, what I'm trying to say is that then it really depends on how much access you give that Azure resource, right? Like in yep. the end, you're using somewhere in Azure is defined a, a service principle, a, a user. Let's just say it's like a, a user, and that user is the thing that you're using in Azure DevOps to connect to your Azure environment. And I've seen a lot of cases where then they're like, "Oh, it's really difficult to manage that, so we're just going to give that uh, give that service principle global admin," and uh, there we go. 
And then, like what you said, like if you get your bill process hijacked, for example, you're using like a task uh, that you don't know is malicious, then that, of course, could misuse that Azure credential and like hijack your systems. Yeah. I think it's really important that you then, if I'm going to use service connections, if I'm going to use a PowerShell script, how much can I do? Like I want a minimal access. And I thought that we, in, in, the, in the last few months, we saw a few of this, these kind of cases that a certain user, a developer has hacked and mm. that the, their password and the multi-factor token was stolen. And then they are into a DevSecOps pipeline or whatever. And then they running the software and then the software with malicious code in it is deployed to customers. So that is, if, if a user, a developer has access to that managed instance, uh, that app rack with um, a lot of rights in, in a certain environment, mm. there could be potential big, uh, big damage could be there. Yeah, well then definitely in cases like this, it's of course, um, how do you say that? Like if, if, for example, I was hijacked, right, and mm -hmm. I, I, have a, I can have administrator rights somewhere, then that is bad, but hopefully at least my credentials are not used in the automated build pipeline. Hopefully. That is hopefully, exactly. You see something you shouldn't do. You should definitely have like a separate entity or a separate identity that connects to your Azure environment automatically. Of course, if someone has my token, they could probably go to the Azure portal, and if I have a lot of administrator, right, they can still delete stuff or delete the code. But at least it could not really be automated that much anymore. And then we're definitely going to have to talk about the, um, like exactly what you say, phishing resistant MFA, uh, pass keys, pa passwordless authentication, and that kind of stuff. But I uh, yeah. don't know how well that fits in the build process here. No, no, no. Mm. Now we were looking a little bit broader than only the, the, the build pipeline. But uh, let's, let's go back to the, to, to the build uh, process. What do we need to, uh, we, we talked to some points. Um, what do we need to cover next? Uh, because we have uh, we have a build, right? And then I uh, try to deploy that build. What do we need to do in that in, in in that kind of steps? What do we need to do to secure? Why do we store the credentials that are using? Uh, do, uh, are we only using a service connection, hmm. or what? What is more within the build? Hmm. So I think uh, also uh, pointing a little bit to the last question, um, I think it's a great topic. And I think if you zoom out on that topic, it's it's the whole reason why we are having this podcast, right? Because it's not in one process where we can solve that kind of issue. So the whole DevSecOps, it's the idea is to build that checks and controls in every stage and every phase. So for example... Let's say we have that connection, and if we have the right permission, who can use that connection? And we have, as you mentioned, our uh, workflow instead of just somebody clicking it through the portal, but code defined, stored in our repository. And like we discussed last time, we have our branch policies and, 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 and repo protection in place. It minimizes the impact, the chance that somebody can hijack our workflow. Uh, to build steps into it without checks being done mm. ahead. So I think, yes, there are possibilities are there, and I think there are a couple of big challenges when it comes to authentication side of the build or even release, because you're always working with service principles or user accounts or API keys which have permanent permission yeah. bases. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, you're talking really a lot like minimizing the chances that your build process gets yeah. corrupted, gets like uh, yeah, gets attacked. Uh, regarding uh, on on first time we talked about uh, artifacts that we are not using anymore, and we're still using it, but not not for infrastructure code. Uh, in the okay, um, if if we look at nowadays, All right, um. Should we use DevOps, GitHub, whatever, and why should we do that in a certain way? What are tools that we can use to, optim to optimally use it in the, in the build process right. and to see how we can move forward on that? Um, I got a couple notes for this. So one of the things, that the tools, we're talking about toolings and how to optimize the security for your build and your build pipeline. There's definitely things that we also talked about in the last episode. So we talked yeah. about vulnerability scanning. We talked about container scanning. Uh, there's definitely still a mention here for like code QL, which is like checking your code quality and stuff like that, maybe also vulnerabilities. Uh, you want to use those tools and those tools are best used in a build environment. 
So before you do a deployment to your production environment, there is uh, there's going to be some vulnerability scanning happening. And they're like, hey, uh, in this version of the SQL that you're using in that package, there's suddenly we found a vulnerability and the deployment will be stopped. The stuff like this is really like how you can secure your code pro code deployment process. Yeah. I think that is definitely something that with, with a DevSecOps approach you want to automate. You don't want someone to say, oh, no, let's just take a look at the vulnerabilities. We'll, take, we'll look at the vulnerabilities each sprint, right? No one actually does that. That needs to be automated. I mean, we had a great session on this topic with David, of course, on the DevSecOps, on yep. the uh, Defender for DevOps, sorry. Um, so how Microsoft is also helping to bring visibility into that process of the build and release. Mm. So, for example, what you exactly said is you want to see which vulnerabilities are coming in the code maybe, but also in the configuration-wise. Mm. Um, but maybe uh, secret scanning, uh, we know GitHub has it already or Advanced Security has it in-house. So with tools as Defender for uh, DevOps, you can integrate, for example, with GitHub or with uh, Azure DevOps and then uh, you step in into the build process and into the PR process, right? Because um, then we can say, okay, if you create a PR to make certain changes, then this uh, pipeline needs to run and then do some checks before we allow it to be merged. And if there are any findings like there, like there is a static password in your code or you are creating for so if we go back to the infrastructure code you are doing um storage account with weak encryption or with a vm with a public ip address yeah you see that kind of configuration or at least which can end up into being vulnerable uh, already yeah. into that build process and that will be integrated to defender for devops as well so in defender for cloud and with what was what I really love about the, the Defender for DevOps is it has a future. They call it PR uh, integration, um, where the feedback goes back to your PR. So oh, as really? a developer, you see, okay, I have a PR. Uh, oh, uh, on line 13, there was a static password found. Uh, and on line 15, I had uh, an adjacent template for a storage account, but I, have, I had a weak uh, encryption model uh, configured. So as a developer, you don't need to escape your environment for that build phase, but they come bring it back to you. Mm. And with, with you're talking now about a defender um, and to secure your um, your your code and and the tools that you're using. So defender is integrating in GitHub and the and Azure DevOps. Are that the only tools that we are still using at the moment, or are there any other tool that we are using to create a build? Environment. I think well, like um, to uh, to create a build environment. Yeah, to to create your build, uh, to create your code. Right, right, right. I think there's definitely like I mentioned CodeQL a little bit. There's yeah. also things like uh, Sonar Cube and Sonar Cloud that will also do a lot of code scanning for you, um, and that will also make sure that the thing that you are going to deploy is secure or is at least secure enough. According to the policies that you set up. Yeah, but in 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 the other end, the, the question is more or less. We are still using GitHub at the moment. Yes. Um, are I don't know exactly. Are you you still using GitHub as well? Uh, well, I at like uh, I use Azure DevOps and Azure DevOps pipeline as a for work. Yeah, but uh, both are within the Microsoft ecosystem, more or less general yeah. um, products that we are using. Are there other? Tools like GitHub, like Azure DevOps, that people in the in the wild are using to create code. Sure, well, like like to deploy their applications. Maybe you mean yeah, more. for example. Yeah, there's like things like Jenkins, Jenkins, right? Which used to Jenkins. be the thing that used GitLab, a uh, Circle CI, yeah. I believe GitLab definitely. Circle CI is a really famous one. And, uh, uh, GitLab is an on-prem environment. Uh, no, no, no. It's also server. It's you can also it's also hosted for you if you uh, hosted, but you can also also you can also build it by yourself. Yeah. GitHub as well, I believe. I think a part of it. Not not GitHub. Uh, no, uh, That's DevOps uh, Azure DevOps. In the past, you could have it on prem. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, DevOps Foundation. DevOps Foundation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, but the, Jenkins is in the cloud service. I'm not sure, actually. Or is that? Um, no, I, I'm I'm happy to not really use it that often. <laughs> <laughs> for me, it's either, but. 
um, yeah. if, if we are using uh, tools like Defender or Sonicube or uh, whatever uh, to secure your code, is it possible to have that on the other tools as well? Because in my opinion, Defender is only available at the moment for GitHub and uh, Azure DevOps. So in, within the Microsoft ecosystem, it's okay. But if we extend that and we want to extend that to other developers, uh, probably we can m make a, a switch there as well. Yeah, I mean, like the I think the good thing about GitHub and Azure DevOps and that kind of stuff is that all of these things like uh, vulnerability scanning, secret scanning, uh, and hopefully in the future things like package up, automatic package updates, it's, all, it's just all integrated into GitHub, into Azure DevOps. Um, for other platforms like GitLab and what we talked about also, there, you can definitely still install SonarCube, but it's more of a manual job. But I think, yeah, regardless of the platform you're using, you should be using these kind of tools to ensure that what you're going to deploy is secure and meets your expectations. Yeah, and in the modern world, uh, we're using GitHub, for example, or Azure DevOps, and we'll try to Within the build process, we want to do everything within GitHub, uh, like credentials, like a service connection, like code scanning, everything. Yeah, yeah, definitely use the use the tools and uh, the options that your provider, you know, gives you. Don't start building stuff yourself. There's there's nothing really wrong with building stuff yourself. But who's going to maintain it? Who's going to maintain that PowerShell script that might be using an old version of the Azure API? Just use Azure DevOps Service Connections, and yeah. Microsoft will host it for you. Another thing I might want to bring up on the, into this process thing to kind of move away from the tooling. So as a developer, if I think about like securing the build process, for me, it's really important to also make sure that what you are trying to build and trying to publish is secure. There's a lot of uh, articles online about people that accidentally also uh, commit and build their Git folder. So they actually deploy their .git folder to a website. And then if you visit the website, you can just go to slash .git and steal all of the source code. So that's also definitely a thing that you, when, when you're going to build something, really inspect what is the result of that build. And am I deploying, for example, stuff like the git ignore file that's really not necessary? Am I deploying um, some files that should actually be in the git ignore? Where is my git, uh, is my git folder in there? Because it really shouldn't be. You want to make sure that your build is optimized. And so let's well. let's search the internet. Let's search the internet. Yeah, there's tools for that. There's like yeah. there's tools of that that you can like you can just you know it will just go through tons of websites on the internet and just go to slash dot git, and uh, bam, you got all you the source code. You have the whole Git history then. From yeah, you have the entire you have all the source code, and that's also the thing that I always tell people. Like sometimes they commit a, a secret into their repo, and they're like, oh no, I'm just gonna put another commit on top of it to yeah. revert that. But I'm like, no, if someone has access to your Git history, they can just go back. To, la to last month and they will yeah. find the original thing again. Uh, the same is for uh, PRs. So some people say, okay, I have uh, multiple uh, commits in my PR and that contains a secret, and then, uh, but I merge it and I smash it to one. No, no, it's no, no. still in the history of your PR, you can yep. find it. So Just a bit of self-promotion. Yeah. I have a blog post on my website. <laughs> a lot no, but exactly. You want to, but if you're using... But how do you control that then? Uh, so what you do is, you, if you're using stuff like GitHub or if you're using stuff like uh, Azure DevOps, there's this feature called GitHub Advanced Security or GitHub Advanced Security for Azure DevOps. Mm -hmm. And this contains tools that you can just click with one click, you can enable it. And then it will actually, like every time you, when you try to push code to Azure DevOps or to GitHub, it will scan all of your uh, code. And if there's a secret in there, which it just learns machine learning, it's just smart. And then it will just uh, reject your push. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's also two. Yeah, that's also what GitHub has, right? Yeah, but also Azure DevOps. Yeah, that's pre-commit checking if there's a password. Yeah, but on the it. server as well. On the server, it checks it. So there's, there's, you know, the server re receives a request yeah. with the new code, and then it, before it accepts it, it scans it for secrets. Yeah. And there's Very also really, really interesting where GitHub does is if it, um, for example, there's services like SendGrid, right, for email sending, and those API keys, like you said, they are just like permanently valid. Which is a big problem. If that leaks, you, ha you, know, they you have an they issue. You have a really big issue. Mm -hmm. So a lot of companies are now doing that. The API key starts with like a prefix. Like for SendGrid, it's, I think it's SG and then a colon. That and then what GitHub does is it when it detects uh, a secret starting with SG and colon, it will automatically send a uh, request to SendGrid to uh, invalidate that API key. Which is like, even if you leak the secret, it will be immediately invalidated. You, you can do that as well for your own projects. You can define your own keys, which it will search in other repositories, I believe. That is useful, but it is scary because like, if the secret just doesn't, you know, doesn't meet that regular expression or something or doesn't meet yeah. the filters, then it will leak through. But yeah, definitely want to 
make sure that your code. And also what I do in my pull requests, I have a pull request template set up. So every time one of my team members has a pull request, I have like a little checklist that you can just mm -hmm. create in GitHub and Azure DevOps. Like, did you add documentation? Um, it does the need, it does do the project requirements need to be updated. For example, if you add a connection to a new database, you need to update so people can use that. I also have in there, it's a bit of a manual thing, but like, did you leak any secrets? Yeah. And I hope to make people think twice. Like, first of all, I always tell people, don't put them in your repo and all that kind of stuff. I try to teach them about it, but also make it part of the PR flow that you actually have to visually check that checkbox. It's a, it's a check mark that you need to need to check. Yeah. And it's visible, so you, you see it, it's visible, and you, you think twice. Yeah, that, that's, exactly. That's what you realize with that one. You definitely want to automate it, but it's also just good to teach people, just don't, you know, it's don't, rely, don't rely on tooling too much. Like then people are just not going to think about it anymore. They're going to work in an environment where these tools are not in place, yeah. and then things are going to go and start. In the normal in the normal user environment, we have security awareness uh, to educate people with phishing, with uh, clicking on URLs, and so on and so yeah. on. Within the, the the defender for DevOps, or in the def, in the DevOps DevSecOps world, mm. we need to create awareness regarding. Uh, this kind of stuff. So, do you have a, a secret uh, stored in your code, or do you uh, do you use other stuff that is malicious? Probably uh, can do stuff that you don't want to, that it, that it does. Yeah, yeah. I think awareness is one of the key aspects within uh, a DevSecOps world. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's also the thing that we're trying to integrate, right? Like yeah, yeah. Dev, the DevOps thing, it kind of exists. Lots of companies are doing it. It's so much better than doing stuff manually or Lisa's computer is the production release machine. You know, that's just that you don't want to work like that. You want an automated system and the making yeah. it secure yeah. is very important. Yeah, that's why what I really love that I think I mentioned it a couple of times on the PR integration of Defender yeah. for DevOps. I mean, it doesn't force the developer to come to a security environment and the vice versa. So but they talk the same on the same platform yep. that they need to intend. But if you take a look on the build, right? So on the build side, there are credentials involved. And I think from our perspective, it's often about some ARM templates, PowerShell coding, and that kind of... But I think when you are building an application, you have more requirement to, to that agent where you do the build, right? Mm. Um, so... Bring us to that. Uh, what if you are doing a build of an application? Um, what are the requirements often that you are meet? Because I can imagine that uh, organizations say, "Well, you can do this, but uh, it's an uh, it needs a certain version of Java or right. .NET, or uh, it needs a certain network connectivity." Um, do you use like the GitHub runners and the Azure DevOps runners, or? Right, Do you right, use right. your own stuff? Uh, oh, we can talk about that. That's really interesting. One little thing that I wanted, you, you, we talked kind of about this yesterday and you triggered me about something. So one thing that I want to I talk about really, really, it's, uh, really interesting is that uh, there's also now, instead of like building your own CI/CD pipeline and having to think about what version of Java you're using, are we using Ubuntu 20 or are we using Ubuntu 18? A lot of people are still using Ubuntu 18. They shouldn't do that anymore. Mm -hmm. There's also these approaches in Azure where you can just say, hey, this is my GitHub link, and uh, I w this is a React project. Go release it, and again, Azure will just figure it out for you. So there's not even you don't even need to think about it anymore. Just when there's a new commit on main, when some code is finished, Azure will automatically detect it, mm -hmm. kind of in a GitOps approach, just push it to the server. And then it's even more secure because you don't even need to think about the builds anymore. Yeah, we have the same with Sentinel, for example, um, where it's a little bit different what they are doing. Uh, Sentinel is Microsoft Sim solution, so it's the, mm. where they bring all the alerts and incidents together to create an overview, which we use often for our SOC and that kind of services. But um, what they do is you have also repository integration. And if, and if you go and you say click and say, yeah, is it on DevOps or on GitHub? You say it's on GitHub. It says authenticate to GitHub. And what they do is they install an extension which creates a deployment workflow for you mm. on the. So I think even there, there has there are multiple versions because it looks like that Sentinel is pulling that. Mm. But because you created that connection, you installed an extension, which is doing yeah, it's it's, it's, it's pushing push it. You mean yeah, again, yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. But that just it's it's just another thing that could be automated and yeah. could be secured by Microsoft. 
Um, but let's go back to what you're like, let's go back a step to what you're saying about like, as a developer, what do I need? Because if we're thinking about deploying a bicep, we're deploying ARM, we're deploying Terraform, we usually don't need that much, right? I think you, like I'm just saying, you guys probably <laughs> need stuff like, uh, you stuff need, your only thing you need is probably like some Linux machine with like uh, the... PowerShell. With PowerShell. Azure PowerShell. And stuff like that is all you yeah. need. But for like a developer for me, so I'm like deploying maybe an application with a backend that's written in .NET, a frontend written in React. So I'm probably, I'm going to use modern.NET. So I'm running on Linux. Uh, but I definitely need a, a specific .NET version installed. I need a version of NPM installed, maybe Yarn, maybe a lot of project dependencies that it all needs to pull in. And uh, yeah, there's a lot more dependencies to build. And luckily, with stuff like Docker, which we also kind of mentioned, this some of this pain goes away because you can just let Docker do all of this. But yeah, you definitely need more dependencies, which you also hope are secure. So do you, don't, do you use, even when you are, you need to have certain specific version of software or tooling, uh, the 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 public hosted and managed versions of GitHub or Azure DevOps, or mm. do you use your own? Uh, because mm. there has been, I think, definitely in the past, there has been a lot of discussions like sharing and build agent with multiple organization, and there were some scenarios that people could see things that they shouldn't be able to see. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. I always but use. That's a true risk, right? If we are talking about build. Yeah, seeing, being able, so if you are running your program and I'm running my program on the same build agent and I find a way to escape and then pull your code out there as well. Mm -hmm. We talked about the connection, right? To take over the connection, but maybe instead of connection, we can step in and change the code or pull some of the code away. I, I, think, it's, I think it's like, you know, there's this security thing where if you're securing your house, mm. you, you, the only thing you need to care about is that your house is more secure than your neighbor because then the robbers will rob your neighbor, not you. Probably. And I'm, if I'm thinking about like setting up my either my own like uh, hosted agent where my code is built on, like I have a VM in Azure somewhere that runs and builds all my code, I have the agent installed on it, or I'm just using the Microsoft agent. Uh, I prefer to use the cloud version. Uh, we at, at uh, the company I work in the beginning, we did use the, uh, we just had our own VM. And then, uh, I don't know, there was one guy that always took care of it, right? He was a great guy. He was really good at what he did. And at some point, uh, he was working on some other stuff. <laughs> Four years later, we discovered that there were no updates. <laughs> it's like, and that's the thing. Like, if you're working, depends really on the company, on the, on the company culture as well. If there's actually security specialists in there, if there's ops people on there, and they, and you're building really important code, that really needs to stay in your environment and your people are specialized in keeping that stuff up to date. Yeah, but Ed, if you are self-hosting stuff, then you need to take care of lifecycle management. Exactly. And the update, and not only updating, but also, um, like from a security perspective, um, on, on day one, we have eight, have zero day, so you need to update. On, right. the, on the second day, uh, there's an open port that is discovered um, because you need to connect to an agent on a specific port and that's in that specific scenario needed. But two months later, that specific scenario has changed. Yeah, you need to change that port, mm. uh, close it, open another one or whatever. But you need to, you need to take care of all the stuff on-prem. Yeah, and if you are using a cloud agent, for example, then yeah, Microsoft or uh, or someone else is taking care of all that kind of stuff. Yep. And uh, you have it on uh, about your own house, um, secure it morely than your neighbor because otherwise you're robbed. But what if you are living in an apartment uh, where you have uh, one house with ten apartments, and the, the the main entrance, the main entrance should be secured. And that's uh, the, the, the people from the apartment building that are securing that entrance. So in that case, it's the same for the cloud agent where uh, I use the same uh, agent as you do with, with your own company. Yep. And Microsoft or another vendor needs to take care of the security on top of that agent that is running. Yeah. Uh, but also, if it's multi-thread, multi so um, multiple organizations are using the same agent and, and so on. So Microsoft is taking care of that. Yeah, but the thing is for me that, uh, you know, I'm not a security specialist. I do like to think that I know a bit about security. Otherwise, I maybe might not be sitting here. Um, but I, my job is to develop applications. It's to kind of, you know, come up with architecture for applications. My job is not to secure stuff. So I we really, I, I can't, I can't, I, I cannot 
in good conscience use a self-hosted agent because I know that Microsoft will do a much better job securing it. And it's, you know, this is, it's, if you're working at a company, like what is the, your core thing that you're working on? Like a web shop's core thing is building a web shop. So should they also be building their own identity provider? No, they should use a built right. one. Are you, you, are you in a very, are you working at like, I don't know, like an airline or like at a bank? You might be using your own agents because it's really important to you that you need to manage it yourself. For normal companies, this is just not their thing. So I really advocate for using the cloud version. Yeah. And Microsoft has people working there 24 seven to keep that stuff secure and any zero days should be fixed immediately and you don't even need to think about it. From a lifecycle perspective, I, I totally agree. Mm. But if you, and, and let's, let's look in that apartment house where Microsoft needs to close that, that, that the first door, if you are running multi-thread um, agents, Ed, you are running on the same agent as I do. How do I how do I know that it's secured that I can access your code in case mm. of? I think I think that's more of an implementation detail, if I'm honest. Like I know that there's probably like let's say there's ten VMs, right? And you're thinking that you're working on the same VM. It's probably some Docker host. It's probably some Hyper V stuff. Maybe it's running on the same machine, but the only thing you may be sharing is a kernel underwater. I'm not sure even how it works. I don't need to think about it. Well, no, I think it's it's they are changing uh, definitely with GitHub. Um, it has been a big shift on Azure DevOps. It was mainly on. Uh, I hear myself very weird. Is it me or uh? no, no, no? Okay, um, on Azure DevOps, it was always a hosted Windows. And the agent just run that. Um, mm. But when we went to the migration to GitHub, GitHub's all uh, hosted uh, uh, containers. Um, and I believe Azure DevOps is also now using uh, mainly because they share that backend. I mean, I've been using hosted Linux agents on Azure DevOps for at least six years, I think. Yeah. But, but are there now really VMs or are there already changed to a container, I believe? I'm pretty sure you can run a Docker container with the uh, Azure DevOps agent in it. Yeah. Yeah. You can definitely do that. So that would already make it easier, right? You can just kind of get the latest version of that agent and it will uh, update all of the vulnerabilities. Again, something you'd have to manage yourself. Yeah. But but, yeah. If, but if I want to deploy that to an Azure subscription or I deploy that, that, that specific application on a certain environment, do I need to integrate that agent within my own environment or is what what are you that's a good question i mean one of the where do you actually where do you put it in your infrastructure somewhere where do you put yeah. it in your landscape one of the most um, like most often attacked environments i think or one of the most popular things to attack in an, in a company is the build server because sometimes people don't really care about it they don't keep it up to date so if you can just hijack that you can just find all the source code there you can find all the credentials there so maybe you want to sandbox it i guess i feel like you really do not want it to have access to all of your own premise or all the other servers yeah. At the other hand, if you're deploying to virtual machines from the build agent, it has to have access to the VMs, right? Because it needs to be able to come to put the artifacts on there. Yeah, so but that's I think, um, in my opinion, one of the biggest re uh, well, one of the reasons why we see uh, that people are, or customers ask for having hosted self-hosted agents. Self-hosted? It, yeah. It's often it has to do with networking. Yeah, well, I because had a little thing about because that. Because yeah. they have like networks, databases or something uh, in the on-prem environment or in the cloud environment, which is not... It, it, the same is you will get the same issue when, for example, if you go even to cloud, right? If you go to, let's say you have an Azure Web App uh, where you have uh, everything VNet integrated uh, and you have an Azure SQL as a backend. Um, so your Azure SQL is not publicly accessible anymore. Mm -hmm. And then you are going to do a build. Uh, you are going to push the changes to your uh, SQL database. That's not accessible anymore. True. I, uh, I had a little note about that because uh, some time ago I, I read that GitHub now does support this. So GitHub supports using a cloud-hosted agent, so you don't need to think about it anymore. Mm -hmm. But you can then talk to VNet-integrated stuff on Azure. I'm, I'm like 99% sure, sure I'm right that I read about this. And then, yeah. of course, the first million comments were, when will this be released for Azure DevOps? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I just looked that up because I believe I believed it was completely impossible to use yeah. like a Microsoft cloud hosted agent and deploy to VNets in Azure. 
and it kind of is the thing that Microsoft says on their documentation uh, is that you just need to whitelist some IPs. From, yeah. and, that, and they change every week. They say they could change every week. So every week they upload a new list and then you need to upload those and yeah, whitelist those every week. But you can automate that. Yeah, but that's not new, guys. <laughs> that, that's the same as whitelisting the whole Western Europe data center IP address space. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I had once a customer that said, yeah, give me the, I'm not going to whitelist that. Give me, I'm not going to open the firewall. Give me the IP address that I need to whitelist. Yeah. You can download it. It's it's thousands and thousands of IP addresses. Ah, and the changes, the additions, yeah. they remove they remove IP addresses yeah. and, and so yeah. on. So changes are a yeah. lot. So one of, the, one of the other reasons um, we use ourselves, we use uh, self-hosted containers mm. on Kubernetes. Um, and one of the reasons why we did that is because through that model, we have now the option to use the managed identity. You can do the same as well with uh, the self-hosted. VMs, self-hosted. So yeah. in Azure DevOps, you have like two versions, the VM agent, but the one that's with the managed identity, uh, I believe. I don't know. Exactly like you can create like an Azure service connection with a managed identity and that will be used by the cloud-hosted agent. Yeah, so you what you do is you use the managed identity of the agent to authenticate to your Azure subscription, yeah. for example, to do some activities. Yes, exactly. Um, so that's also a really awesome well, it's kind of the same thing you're doing, right? You, I, you do just have a, containers. Yeah, yeah, you have the kind of the same thing. Yeah. I want to ask you a question about this. So let's say that we need to let's think in a modern way. So GitHub, if I'm correct, has the option to use a cloud-hosted agent, which you don't need to update, which you don't need to maintain. Microsoft or GitHub cares about all the yeah. security aspects of it, which is great. I can sleep at night. Um, and let's say that it's correct that they can just talk to uh, VNet integrated resources, so things that the internet cannot access. Let's say Azure DevOps gets this as well. Would you then still want to use self-hosted agents? So for us, it's double. Um, we do it partially for... So we use the build agents partially to use the managed identity, for example, to configure and maintain our own solutions, right? right? So our own platform and that kind of stuff, uh, which are not internet-facing. Um, but we also use that managed identity to do other stuff, um, to other resources, for example, without going too deep in it. So, um, how do I say it without saying too much about this? Uh, that's the fun part. But what you can do is, for example, if you're in a scenario that you are, you are an MSP, right? You're mm. not doing nothing with security. You're an MSP, and you are using uh, Azure Lighthouse to manage your customers. Normally, you need to have a service principle, which is going there. So you have always an app registration with a secret which is fundable for that. So mm -hmm. in that scenarios, you can also decide to go to manage identities of your containerized solution. Mm -hmm. So when you are doing something as infrastructure scope to your customer or you are doing as your lending zone configuration, you can use those connections right. um, to do the provisioning of that environment. So in our opinion, being able to using that managed identity um, but it solves a lot of the problem that you in initially uh, mentioned. Yeah. But I don't really understand the difference, though, between using a, like, I configure, like, a managed identity in Azure mm. for my Azure DevOps or GitHub Action build, right, build agent, yep. the, the one that's made by Microsoft in the cloud somewhere. Um, and I only use that one for per deployment permissions. It's not going to be able, it's not going to be allowed to, like, I don't know, change Azure settings, you know, that as little access as possible. You're doing kind of the same thing. You're hosting your uh, build agent yourself, but you're also talking about the managed identity access. But how does that differ from what I'm saying with the service connection and managed identity? Um, service connection with the managed identity. Yeah, you're saying so like on your Kubernetes environment, you can like configure uh, a managed identity. It's not only Kubernetes, right? It can be a VM as well. It can be a Docker uh, container yeah, instance yeah, yeah. as your well. Yeah, your pod in Kubernetes has a managed identity associated yeah. with it. Yeah. And in my Azure DevOps cloud-hosted agent also has a managed identity because of the service connection. The hosted, yeah. Beca the, the but it's on hosted. the VM, right? On the cloud-hosted, yeah. So, okay, so is your... Th your your but you don't have on the cloud hosted one, you don't have managed identity, right? No, no, no. But it, the cloud hosted one uses a service connection to talk to Azure. Yeah. And that service connection uses a managed identity. That is not possible, all right? I'm pretty sure it is. A federated connection. 
I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure it is possible. Okay, let's just, so right, managed, let's just say service so principle. Because the idea behind managed identity is that the identity is not managed by you. It's by managed Azure. by Azure. Azure. Exactly. So uh, you don't know the secret of it. Exactly, and I, I would, um, maybe we need to take this offline after yeah. the podcast, have a look around. Maybe we can put it in the show notes <laughs> or something like that. Something like that. That would um, be awesome. In any case, what the thing that um, let's say that the security aspect would also be managed by Microsoft. Yeah. So the the, the update parts would be managed by Microsoft. I could integrate with VNet. I could integrate with my private resources. Would there still be benefits to using self-hosted agents if the security aspect was handled by Microsoft in the cloud, and if the VNet integration was handled by Microsoft? Um, well, um, depends on your level of security, I think, yeah, right? Yeah, that's a good point. And, and the, the, the application and how much risk you accept. For example, if you are doing some infrastructure code and deploying some resources, it's way different than if you are building databases and application and which are doing financial stuff or... True. Yeah, that's um, a really good point. So it, I think it's an, there's always a risk with a public hosted by someone else. Um, from a modern way, I do accept it. Like if you're a small organization, you don't have the resources, don't start with it, mm -hmm. right? I do completely because you need to manage it. You have lifecycle management. You need to patch it. You need to monitor it. You need to uh, have Defender on it. You need to alert, react on it. So yeah, on that sense, I do agree with you guys that that if you don't have the resources and the capacity to do it well, um, then don't do it. But if you have, like, but I think that's in always the case. If you have the resources, the the budgets and 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 to maintain. Yeah, it. if it makes if it makes sense financially, if there's like if you did like your risk assessment and you're saying, well, this is a pretty big risk for our organization. It depends on the use case. It depends. That's yeah. a great consultant answer here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Of one last thing. Um, we talked about the build process, the right. build environment, but if we want to access from a, that, that development, a developer perspective, if I want to access that uh, that, that build environment, the to to create code and so on, you're doing that on your own laptop. I'm creating code on my own laptop, is what you're saying, right? Yeah, yeah I'm using my local Visual yeah. Studio writer stuff like that. Yeah. How can how can and maybe we 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 need to take another episode on that? But how does DevBox within Azure Azure DevBox? Mm. How does that come into place regarding the things that we're talking about? Because securing your build uh, stuff right. is also securing the entrance how you access your build. Yeah, I think that's. I think I think we talked a bit about this in the first episode about workstation management. Yeah, but a bit, a bit. Yeah, I, I talked to a colleague yesterday because they were working for a client, and I was like, "So, what kind of environment are you using?" He said, "Like, I'm using I'm using uh, the, uh, the the Microsoft. What was it called? Microsoft DevBox, Microsoft or Azure DevBox or something." And he yeah. said it works really, really well. Yeah. Which, uh, but uh, we talked in the first episode about it that I've heard of people using it or like stuff like GitHub Code Spaces, which is even more like a, as a SaaS platform. I think it is definitely very interesting. We could maybe dedicate an, an, another episode to this. Maybe I miss it, and maybe with that also our listeners. Can you maybe... Uh, what is Azure DevBox? That's what a great point. Yeah, let's DevBox. talk about that. Yeah. The, the DevBox is um, more or less a workplace within Azure that you can spin up, a sort of an AVD environment. Uh, it's not AVD. Uh, don't don't call Azure Virtual Desktop. Uh, yeah, it's it's not an AVD environment, but it's a, a virtual workplace that you run in Azure, so you can connect it remotely. But it's dedicated to a subscription or a, 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 a an environment that is used to develop yeah. stuff. All, all the all the software needed for software development is already installed on it. Yeah. So instead of like getting a new laptop from your work and spending two days. Uh, configuring Visual Studio, Visual Studio Code, uh, GitHub, uh, GitCrack, all your tooling. It's already all done for you. So you can just, you know, click on start or there's a new but developer. It's a VM no. still. It's under it's the hood, it's a VM. AVD yeah. probably as well. It's just nice. AVD on steroids, I guess. It, yeah, it's not AVD, but it's it's a VM where you can. <laughs> yeah, but um, otherwise, I, yeah, otherwise, I otherwise I, I hear it. I, people it's, are it's complaining. It's going to be a dedicated ex uh, uh, session about yeah, this. Definitely. But very but interesting. But the DevBox, and, and that's that's one of the nicest experiences of that. Um, it's dedicated to a subscription. 
Mm-hmm. And with that, from a cost perspective, yeah, you can uh, see that exactly. subscription belongs to one project. So you have a project, you're running uh, that project, and what are the costs of that for that pro- the running cost for that project? So you have a subscription, all the costs are on that subscription. So you have a one project with that with that costs. So it helps also f- when you hire externally uh, external people, mm-hmm. they can get access to the dev box and. Uh, exactly and only if you are running a build pipeline uh, or whatever it's only um, based on that specific Azure subscription or uh, um, multiple Azure subscription that you are attached to that dev box you can access other resources in your environment so it's really specific but um, Very interesting. I, I think it's definitely I definitely have some more questions or things to, to say about this I think it's definitely good to talk more about this later but one little question about this so how uh, the the build process. How is this related to DevBox? Now, if we the 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 thought that was in my head mm. was, if we are building a an application, so you're running a pipeline yep. or whatever, I, we can secure that on an optimal way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but accessing that build pipeline, uh, if you don't secure the access to your build pipeline. And we talked a little bit about in the first episode regarding a workplace. Right. But on the other hand, um, you can access um, a, a GitHub environment. You do uh, authentication and uh, multi-factor and so on. But if you have your source code, source code within a official uh, studio official stu- uh, yeah, code. On your local machine, yeah. So it's like, yeah, exactly. So that was more. the reason why it yeah, pops you, up in my head. Exactly, you could you could definitely secure and like put all the security measures in place to make sure that your code uh, g- um, is deployed securely onto your, well, the thing your 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 landing zone wherever you're putting it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, then we kind of go back to the question of how do you secure the access to the thing that is being built, and that could be exactly something like DevBox, like where. On the other hand, I feel like you could, you know, pry this laptop from my cold dead hands. Like, don't I love having a laptop? But that you're completely right that if I left the company somewhere, I could still have that code on my laptop. Yeah, I could take that with me. With DevBox, yeah, you could just, you know, delete, uh, disable my Azure account. Then you don't have access. And you're done. You don't need to format my computer anymore. It doesn't need to collect dust for five years in a, in a closet somewhere. I think I know someone from from the Microsoft team uh, who is uh, on on DevBox. Um, so we pro- probably can invite uh, a, a special guest oh, to have cool. a specific scenario, a specific episode on DevBox. Let's do that. Sure. That's really good. And um, regarding the build uh, process environment and stuff, uh, uh, that we do, do we need to take a- another thing or uh, did we miss something? Maybe maybe a simple thing that I sometimes say I see people do. I think we we definitely talked a lot about making sure that your build process is secure, making sure that you have like a a, a well fitting build environment, like either self hosted or um, like cloud hosted, making sure that it fits. One little thing that I sometimes see people do is that they're kind of new to this build process and they're like, oh, I need a specific task, right? Uh, and then they're looking on the marketplace for like. GitHub Actions or Azure DevOps uh, tasks, you really want to make sure that the tasks you're using are okay tasks. Yeah. Like there's even settings in uh, Azure DevOps, I believe, to not allow marketplace tasks. Because yeah. you could have everything secured, but then you download a task that just copies all of the source code and sends it to Russia. Um, <laughs> you could Don't do that. Bleep that out, please. <laughs> <laughs> you could, so you definitely want to make sure that the tasks you're using are secure, they are, they're trusted, and uh, yeah, because you don't know, you don't know the source code of the task, you don't know what they're doing. Yeah. So the that's things that are happening really in your build, you want to make sure that those are okay, those are secure. That's a really good one, because yeah. I think that's happening more often than people... Yeah, exactly. I need to replace some tokens. Oh, and I know that this one has uh, 600 downloads, and the yeah. last update was four years ago, but it does what it needs to do, so I'm just going to use that one. Yeah. It's like, uh. So we spoke mm. about the technology, and I think the last one was great, but is there also a human interaction that we can discuss if it comes to RBOC, more role-based access requirements are there what do we expect from um our team when it comes mm-hmm. to i think, think if you're like running a build pipeline it's also definitely you want to make sure that only specific people can run specific pipelines where like deploying your cloud resources in a really big corporate environment maybe only the, the you know the, the ops people need to be able to deploy actual azure production resources there needs to be the 4i principle where if i want to change the connectivity 
stuff in Azure, you know, all of the VNet stuff, all the connections of Azure Firewall. Mm. You want to make sure that your colleague Steve, that is also really good and, you know, works with the, is specialized in this, he also needs to have a look at it. That's kind of, I guess, the human aspect. You want to automate your, automate your build process. That's the entire thing about DevOps and um, kind of. But you want to also make sure that when specific and important things are happening, that's, I think, where you need a human to double check. Yeah, but also uh, role-based. You have a pull request. You n- it needs to be approved and so on. Just before the build is actually running, yeah. uh, the four eyes principle, maybe six eyes. Mm. Uh, that you want to cover i think that's that's important and also what you mentioned a, a, a few minutes earlier regarding uh, the, the 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 list that you need to approve uh, the check marks that you need to do before moving into pr yeah i think that are things the awareness uh, we talked a little bit about that the awareness also within the devsecops uh, the devops people yeah that needs to be that that needs to be raised in my opinion yeah, we want to make sure we want to know what we're deploying. Like the, I think that's the, I think that's a good way to say it. We want to know what we're deploying, and we the deployment should happen automatically. That is what we're doing all yeah. of this for. We just want to have code, and we want it to run on production. And we don't want to use Lisa's computer to do that. We want to use a cloud-hosted agent, a self-hosted agent. Just let it happen. But is what is Lisa? being deployed? In, okay. hmm? You don't know that thing. It's like a whole, it's a whole old joke about you know. I don't know one, the joke. One computer I know in Lisa. Office. But you know Lisa. I don't know. Introduce her to me. No, but uh, that's wh- on the flight. And the eighth. <laughs> sure thing. So, like one specific uh, one team member's laptop is always used to like pr- uh, deploy to production, and that's yeah. an old uh, whatever. We we Moving all know on. that scenario with customers that there's all th- always one server that has enough permission to do the deployment. Exactly. Yeah. I have faced that personally with a, with a really big enterprise customer when it came. Every need everything needed to be DevOps and everything needed to be infrastructure code, but then you needed to email the code to somebody and then. That person went to an SSH to an Ubuntu server because that server had the right login already to the Azure site, so they run it manually there and then they oh, deployed nice, it. Nice. I, I can add that's, on that's to really add one more thing yeah. to add one more thing on top of that. I used to do an internship and I also like finished my studies at the, the Dutch Tax Services to the Belastingdienst, mm-hmm. and it was also I worked at like a very modern department there where they built a mobile app. So it was really fun, and they also started doing like deploy build agent CI/CD in there. So you know the code was built, the t- quality was tested, like all the stuff we talked about today. And then <laughs> there was a step to go to uh, a specific Bali, you know, to go to a specific place in the company where you had to fill in an A4 paper, and then afterwards the process would continue, which I just found really really funny. It's all super automated until you get to the deeper and deeper parts where you actually need to write a piece of paper and go somewhere and yeah it's that not it's not it, it's not particularly wrong it's it's good that you have to sign off i guess in a government environment yeah yeah, yeah. but on the other hand i would want to tr- uh, try to digitalize everything and then if you need to sign a paper yeah, it could be it could be weird for some people, but on the other hand, if you have, you need to take that step. So, I mean, for awareness perspective, I mm. think it's really good. Yeah. Okay. I guess. Yeah. I mean, everything could, of course, be optimized better, but you do definitely have a point, especially. But that's more to cover the change management than I think, right? I guess a little bit, like yeah. who is who is authorizing the deployment, you know, yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. But it's, because that's it's fun. To fun. Be, yeah, yeah, Big important thing, I think, in our next episode, because I believe the next one is going to be about release then. I'm not really sure. We'll have to, we'll have to take a look. Yeah, okay. But uh, because the change management is going to be a big one, I think, because um, when it comes to build uh, and deployment, mm. um, we deploy more often than we did previously. Definitely. Right? So yeah. maybe in the past we did... Co- collect all the changes and then we did a deployment once a month or something yeah, in something, that yeah, sense. Okay. But now we are doing multiple ones. So, um, and this is a really uh, challenge for, I had this with a couple of cu- customers of mine that say, okay, we need to be in control. We need to see how much deployments we did to the production environment. Mm. Um, but I think we'll take that for the next episode. Where Let's close this one. Yeah, We are almost an hour far. So uh, we, we make that. <laughs> yeah, we need to have a clock here, I think. Um, let, let's look a little bit back. Um, we covered the build, pro- the, the build process, the build environment. 
um, we talked about a little bit DevOps, make a little bit a little step outside. Little step, yeah. um, we talked about securing code uh, also within this episode. So uh, we, I think there are lots of aspects within the build that comes into place, um, and that make th- makes this one of the interesting topics, steps within creating. Uh, an application or building um, an, an infrastructure, uh, you need to take care of your build because a lot can go wrong within this step. Yeah, definitely. So uh, we talked about it, about uh, Defender for DevOps um, in a few episodes earlier uh, on the, uh, the what, what was it? The, David? The, the, the Defender for Service uh, of the Defender, Defender for, for Cloud um, and for uh, series. Yeah. So if you want to, inter- if you are interested in that one, uh, take a, have a look at, the, at that episode. Um, on the other end, yeah, that, that was it for today. Build, and uh, let's look into uh, the next one. Probably uh, release or something in that. Uh, no, uh, maybe maybe at summit we'll see. Yeah, let's see if we Definitely. can connect with uh, with with, uh, with some people over there and uh, yeah. see if we can create uh, some other content uh, on the other side of the ocean. Definitely. Let's do that. So thanks for today. If you like this uh, th- this podcast series, um, like and subscribe. Um, and also, um, l- let us know if you want to uh, know more about a specific scenario or what else. Uh, we will take care of that and uh, see if we can uh, create uh, a next episode on that. So uh, reach out to us on the socials and uh, I see you next time. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you.